Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Live Through Jesus podcast with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, it's God's will against ours and the intervention of Jesus on our behalf. Numbers 16 through 18, all scripture is read from the New King James Version. Quickly before we get started, if you're new to Live Through Jesus, make sure you go to livethroughjesus.com and sign up to receive your free five-week Bible study over Abraham. There you'll also find blog posts that coincide with the teachings on this podcast and social media links, which is another way to keep in touch throughout the week. Okay, let's get started. Have you ever had someone intervene on your behalf? How does it feel whenever you know that there's at least one person that has your back no matter what? No matter how much trouble you get yourself into, no matter what you've done, you know that if you call this person, they're going to be on your side. They'll be there to help you no matter what. If you have somebody like this in your life, then you are truly blessed. But if you don't, Know that you do have that in your Christian life. Jesus is the one that stands up for you. He is constantly interceding on your behalf. No matter what you've done, He is on your side. Often, God gives us an earthly visual of the spiritual things, and the Israelites foreshadow what we find in Jesus. And so today, we're going to see Aaron intervene for the people And we're going to see the intervention of Jesus on our behalf. Now, on the last episode, we talked about a group of men that didn't accept God's choice of Moses and Aaron as their leaders. And basically, they wanted to usurp them. And when they put themselves up against Moses and Aaron, then God had to make his choice very clear and punish those that rebelled against him and his chosen leaders. And so over 250 men were killed by the Lord that day. And this lesson is the response to that. So if you happen to miss that episode, you might want to go back and listen to it. Although you don't have to in order to listen to this episode and hear what God has to say to you through it. So let's go ahead and begin reading in number 16 verses 41 to 45. On the next day, all the congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron and said, You have killed the people of the Lord. Now it happened when the congregation had gathered against Moses and Aaron that they turned towards the tabernacle of meeting, and suddenly the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of meeting, and the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Get away from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. And then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces. So the people are mad at Moses and Aaron because their leaders were killed by God. Now, that wasn't their fault. They didn't initiate the judgment. They only pled their case whenever the leaders rose up against them. And so the lesson should have been that God had chosen Aaron and Moses and that the rebels had been wrong to stand against them. But the people continued to place blame instead of accepting God's correction. They're angry at the punishment instead of acknowledging their wrong and repenting of it. Repentance is just when we change direction. And that's always the goal of any correction, right? Is to get somebody to change what they're doing and do something else. 
And so the question for us is, how well do we respond to correction? Do you confess and repent or do you get angry and resist? This may be most evident in children, but as adults, we still probably fall into one of these categories. Some kids can just be instructed to either do this or not do that, and then they'll just listen and obey. Others may have to suffer some consequences, but then afterwards they quickly turn course. Then there are some who will then receive further punishment for the way they reacted to the consequences in the first place, right? And then this can go on for a while until somebody finally gives up. Unfortunately, this is sometimes the parent, although not if we're adults and the parent is our Heavenly Father. When we resist Him by failing to listen to His instruction or change course when He corrects us, then He's not going to be the one to give in. And the Bible is filled with verses talking about listening to the Lord's instruction and correction. And so here's just a few. The first one is Second Chronicles 38 to 9. Don't be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord and enter his sanctuary, which he has sanctified forever, and serve the Lord your God, that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. For if you return to the Lord, your brethren and your children will be treated with compassion by those who led them captive, so that they may come back to this land, for the Lord your God is gracious and merciful, and he will not turn his face from you if you return to him. So this is for those that were initially stubborn, but then once they were corrected, they were repentant. They stopped doing what they wanted to do, and they returned to God, yielding their will to his. Okay, then here's the next verse, Proverbs 3, 11, and 12. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord or detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. So recognizing that God only corrects us because he loves us helps us not reject his correction. When we think of it like a parent correcting a child, and we know that parents know more than their children and they have their children's best interest at heart, then we can better accept God's correction. Proverbs fifteen ten says, Harsh discipline is for him who forsakes the way, and he who hates correction will die. And then if you skip down to verses thirty one through thirty three of chapter fifteen, it says, The ear that hears the rebuke of life will abide among the wise. He who disdains instruction despises his own soul, but he who heeds rebuke gets understanding. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. So this is for the one that just refuses to listen always, no matter what. Gentle correction, harsh discipline, nothing gets through to this person. God says, if you're smart, then you're going to listen. And then listening is going to make you even smarter. But if you need that wrath, the fear of the discipline to help you obey, then fear God because he has the power to send you to hell. <laughs> That's just the way it is. He doesn't want this. He wants us to listen. He does everything to get us to listen. But if we continue to hate his correction, then we apparently hate our own soul because we're willing to send it to hell. 
That's what that verse is saying. Just as with a child, we hope they listen without discipline. But we will punish if they choose not to listen because we're willing to do everything that we need to in order to get them to obey our command for their own good. When they reject us, then they hurt themselves. And that's what this verse is saying here. It's the same with God. And then Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen: He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. So again, we see this in kids. It never benefits to cover up. We're so much better off if we just confess and say what we did. When we see that our kids understand what they've done and know that it's wrong, then there's less of a reason for the punishment. The intent is to get them to repent, to change direction. And so if we see that, if God sees that, then he's willing to be merciful. Covering it up doesn't allow for repentance, which is the the entire goal. And then Isaiah 31 says, Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who take counsel, but not of me, who devise plans, but not of my spirit that they may add sin to sin. So every time that we don't listen to God and instead we listen to ourselves or someone else, then we're sinning. Sin technically means missing the mark. And the mark is following God, listening to Him. So when we don't listen to Him, when we don't follow Him, we miss the mark. We sin. And then the last one on this, 2 Timothy three fourteen to 17 says, But you must continue in these things, which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them. And that from childhood, you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so the Bible is God's correction. It's our instruction. And these words profit us. They're beneficial to us. Listening to them and obeying them helps us. His words change us and they make us more like him. And so when we follow him, When we mimic him, again, like a child does his father, then we are more like him. And being more like him equips us to do good works, to please him. His word does that for us. We want to accept God's correction. And the people did not. They did not let God's wrath change their direction. Instead, they turned to blame. It was Moses and Aaron's fault that these nearly 300 people had just been killed by God. These people got in trouble, but, well, they didn't deserve it. It was somebody else's fault. And so at this point, God is like, for real, this is ridiculous. Now I really am going to kill them all. (laughs) Remember, God did want to kill them in the first place, and Moses intervened for them already. And now God's like, okay, this is enough. Move out of the way so I can kill them all once and for all. But Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the Lord. And so let's keep reading and see what happens. 
next. Verse 46. So Moses said to Aaron, Take a censer and put fire in it from the altar. Put incense on it and take it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. Then Aaron took it as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the assembly. Already the plague had begun among the people. So he put in the incense and made atonement for the people. He stood between the dead and the living, and the plague stopped. Now those who died in the plague were 14,700, besides those who died in the poor incident. So Aaron returned to Moses at the door of the tabernacle of meeting when the plague had stopped. So because the people resisted their leader's punishment and chose to be angry instead of learning from their mistakes, God began punishing them too. And Moses and Aaron quickly intervened so that the whole nation wouldn't be completely wiped out. So Aaron immediately put incense in his censer and ran throughout the camp praying for the people. When he reached the edge of the plague, he stopped and he stood right there between the living and the dead. And he asked God, don't proceed any further. Please stop this plague. And as a result, God did. He listened to Aaron's prayers. Now, as a result of this rebellion that began with Korah and Abiram and Dathan that we talked about last week, around 15,000 people died. Horrible, but deserving. And Aaron has stopped it. So no more people. Is that not amazing what Aaron did for them? To run into the midst of this plague that is killing everyone and then stand right at the front of it and beg God for mercy, say, please don't proceed any further. Picture that in your mind, what it looks like for him to run into harm's way and stand right at the, at the edge of it and just say, please don't go any further than this. This gives us the picture of a protector, right? As the high priest, he was protecting the people, standing in front of them, asking God, don't go any further, please. And so, as I said in the beginning, we too have a high priest. And he too took a stand between life and death. Our high priest's name is Jesus. But instead of offering up prayers, he offered himself as a payment for our sins. And then once the punishment had been paid, then there was no need for God's wrath on us any longer. How amazing what Jesus did for us. He died for us. And then to show the power that he has to conquer death, God raised him from the dead. He came back to life on this earth and then he rose again to heaven and now he sits at the right hand of God and continues to intercede on our behalf even still today. His first intercession for us was just coming to this earth. And his ultimate intercession was dying on our behalf, 
But it, it didn't stop there. He continues to intercede for us every day as he sits at the right hand of God. So listen to what these verses say about Jesus, our high priest, our intercessor, our mediator, the one that makes it right with God, just as Aaron did for the people. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we earn death, but Jesus paid that price for us so that we could live forever with him. And then the next verse confirms that he is still interceding for us, just as I said. Romans 8.34 It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us. 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for us all. He is the mediator, the one that intercedes for us by paying the ransom for our souls. And then the last verse. Hebrews 9, 11 to 15. This really relates Jesus to the high priest and tells us what the high priest then did and how Jesus acted like them for us, but in just a greater way. Verse 11. Jesus came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, then how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, how much more can he cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason, he's the mediator of the new covenant. By means of death, for the redemption of the transgression under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. So this verse calls Jesus our high priest, which didn't sacrifice animals for us like the priest did for the people in those days, taking their blood to the altar before the most holy place as proof of, of their death. But instead, he sacrificed his own life for our sins as the one that didn't have any sin. This made him our mediator, just like Aaron was for the people. They deserved God's wrath, but Aaron intervened for them, saving their lives. And we too deserve God's wrath, but Jesus intervened for us, and he saves our lives for eternity. What a wonderful, wonderful gift of grace that he's given to us. We don't deserve it, but God loves us and has favor on us and gives it to us anyway. That's grace.
Okay. So after their rebellion and Aaron's intercession, then God made his choice clear once and for all. Let's keep reading in Numbers 17. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, Speak to the children of Israel and get them a rod from each father's house, all of their leaders according to the father's houses, twelve rods. Write each man's name on his rod. You shall write Aaron's name on the rod of Levi, and there shall be one rod for the head of each father's house. Then you shall place them in the tabernacle of meeting before the testimony where I meet with you. It shall be that the rod of the man whom I choose will blossom. Thus I will rid myself of the complaints of the children of Israel which they make against you. So Moses spoke to the children of Israel, and each of their leaders gave them a rod apiece. For each leader, according to their father's houses, twelve rods, and the rod of Aaron was among their rods. Moses placed the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. And it came to pass on the next day that Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and behold, the rod of Aaron of the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds and produced blossoms and yielded ripe almonds all in a day. And then Moses brought out all the rods from before the Lord to all the children of Israel, and they looked, and each man took his rod. And the Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron's rod back before the testimony to be kept as a sign against the rebels, that they may put their complaints away from me, lest they die. Thus did Moses, just as the Lord had commanded him, so he did. So the children of Israel spoke to Moses and said, Surely we die, we perish, we all perish. Whoever even comes near the tabernacle of the Lord must die. Shall we all surely die? So after this horrific loss, God settles the question of who his chosen leader is once and for all. After every tribe has brought their dead sticks to the tabernacle, then Aaron's, the one that had Aaron's name on it, sprouted, produced blossoms, and ripe almonds. And then all of the rods were shown to the people to obviously reveal Aaron as God's chosen leader and the Levites as his chosen servants. Then they put Aaron's rod before the holiest of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, and where the Ten Commandments were held. And this is a reminder that only the high priest can enter God's presence there. So finally the people accepted God's answer, and they now have a visual warning in case anybody decides to do it again. Now, after God established their leadership towards the people, he reminded Aaron of his priestly duties and of the duties of the Levites in chapter 18. And I'm not going to read it because it's really long, but basically God just says that Aaron and his sons are the priests. They're responsible for the atonement of sins, sacrificing the animals as payment for the sins of the people, which reconciles them to God. And then the sacrifices are eaten by the priests and a tenth of the sacrifices belong to the Lord as a tithe for what they have received. And then that that does belong to God is eaten by the high priests. And then that the priests are also the ones that work inside the tabernacle. Nobody else is allowed inside and only the high priest can enter the back room where the presence of God dwelt. And then the rest of the Levites are given to the priests as a gift of service. 
They guard the sacred spaces, they care for the tabernacle, and for the holy things. The priests and the Levites don't receive any inheritance because the offering of food served as their inheritance. So that's the summary of chapter 18. And this is the end of the first generation of Israelites that came out of Egypt. These men all died in the wilderness, and their children are the ones that eventually entered the promised land, just as God told them that they would. This generation missed out on the promised land because they were afraid. They trusted the advice of men instead of trusting the promise of God. They trusted in their own weakness instead of in God's strength. They'd been delivered for that exact purpose, but instead of fulfilling their purpose, they wandered the wilderness for the next 40 years with no purpose at all. They didn't receive the blessing God had in store for them because they didn't believe that he could deliver it. Their lack of faith cost them an abundant life in the land flowing with milk and honey. And so the big takeaway that we can get from this generation of Israelites is not to be like them. God has a purpose for you too. If you don't know what it is, ask him. Don't live your life wandering around aimlessly like these Israelites had to do. Have the courage to obey him even if it's scary. Don't let your fear paralyze you like they did. Don't let it hold you back. Don't let it weigh you down or cause you to doubt the promises and the power of God. Believe that he can deliver on his promises. Have faith that he has the power to carry you through to the other side. Lay hold of the blessings that he desires to give you. Forget how hopeless the situation looks and believe that he can overcome whatever giant stands in your way. Trust that he is able. Nothing is impossible with him. So put on your spiritual glasses and don't see as the world sees. With the world, there are limits, but God is limitless. He can change your situation in an instant. So no matter how hopeless your circumstances may seem, there's always hope with God. Don't believe in your weakness. Believe in his strength. Don't trust in what you see. Trust in what you know from him. Never act on your fear. Always act on your faith. Okay, so next week we're going to see what happens with the children of this generation. And we're going to follow them on their journey to the promise. So don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss that episode. Leave me a five-star review and comments wherever you're listening. You can also find my email at livethroughjesus.com. And if you haven't, make sure that you sign up to receive your free Bible study and get weekly email updates. And then also follow me on all social media at Live Through Jesus. Thanks and have a good day. Thank you.